Well, welcome back to the Palview Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Pastor Trey, and the lead pastor here at Palview Christian Church in beautiful Central Oregon. It's great to have you uh, with us today, if this is your first time. Uh, we are going through the Gospel of Luke right now um, on our weekend services. Uh, by the way, you're always invited, if you're ever in the Central Oregon area, and have some time on a Sunday morning to come and swing by and say hi and, and uh, worship with us. That would be awesome. Um, anyway, so we're in uh, chapter 7. I'm going to finish up uh, chapter 7 today in the book of Luke and um, kind of see what uh, we can learn from God's Word today, uh, this week, on this, this uh, edition of the podcast. I want to start uh, by just reading, uh, starting in verse 36 of, of uh, Luke uh, chapter 7. there right now as I'm talking to you. Uh, you may have heard this story before. It's uh, one that's been told many times. Starting in verse 36 of chapter 7 of Luke's gospel, it says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And uh, so Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who is a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. And now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, saying to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And so Simon answered, say it, teacher. So we are in Simon's house. We are in Simon the Pharisee's house. We are in Simon the Pharisee's house in Galilee. Now, the implication of all of that is that Jesus has been invited to Simon's home. And, and the house is most likely very, very uh, nice. Uh, Simon is most likely a wealthy, prestigious man. Galilee would be the, the part of Israel that uh, was the luscious, green, mountainous land. So Simon is well off in every aspect of that culture, financially, socially, religiously. A man who definitely was living the blessed life. A man who seems to have it all together. And Jesus is there. He's been invited. He's reclining at the table, sharing a meal with the religious elite, the teachers of the law. It was a very fine dining experience, I'm sure. There's elegance and comfort. It was very posh. He has accepted this invitation. Simon's a good guy. He's a respectable guy. There, there's no reason why Jesus would shun him or decline the invitation. Everything just seemed so perfect. Perfectly representing the respectability of Simon, the Pharisee. And then she comes in. The room grows still as her silhouette darkens the door. It's obvious that she does not belong there. She's not dressed for the occasion. She, she's not even a part of this section of society. But carefully, cautiously, she takes a step towards Jesus. And then another. Almost expecting somebody to point at her and yell, Get out of here. You don't belong. And yet nobody does, although you know that they were thinking it. Her steps quicken 
perhaps, as her shame turns her eyes downward, her long hair hiding the flushed face of humiliation, intent on nothing else but making her way to the master. And as she stands there behind him at his feet, the contrast could not be clearer. This woman standing behind Jesus at his feet in a place of servitude. Simon, the host, the Pharisee, sitting at the head of the table. The woman drowning in sorrow and emotion, broken because of her sin. Simon, the Pharisee, content with his place in society, his morality levels, his respectability. The woman's tears pour forth. To her horror, they spill onto the master's feet. <sighs> Embarrassed, she searches for a towel, something to wipe off the, the, the tears. Maybe a napkin from the table. No, 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 that's too nice to disturb. So what can she do? The only thing she can think of is to take her hair, her long hair, the locks of her hair that were hiding her uh, guilty, shame face. She uses those locks to dry Jesus's feet. But the more that she wipes, the more she understands her condition, her shame, her brokenness, and the more her tears fall. She's overcome with so many emotions, fear, shame, humiliation, and something more, something surprising. Love. Yes, love. And she kisses the feet of the forgiver of sins. And now out comes this alabaster flask, not the expensive Egyptian marble alabaster that, that Mary of Bethany would later on uh, use in Jesus's ministry right before he would die. But this time it was just a simple piece of pottery made of limestone. And from it, she pours a very inexpensive perfume. That's all she had. Cheap fragrance from a cheap jar. Doesn't seem like much. But nobody there understood the true value of that fragrance. Especially not Simon. Simon only saw the sinner. A woman who compared to the way he lived his life. She's not worthy of God's love. And where Simon saw a sinful woman, Jesus saw someone holy broken. And that was the true cost. That was the true cost of the perfume. Simon had no way of knowing that at this moment, this woman, this sinful woman, was so much closer to the heart of God than he could ever have dreamed of being on his own. And in his heart, he judges, with wrong motives, by the way. Because, and he judges not just the woman, but he's judging the ability, the ability of Jesus to know what kind of woman this is. He questions Jesus as a prophet. <laughs> he scoffs, some prophet doesn't even know what kind of person is touching him. Oh, Simon. Poor, poor Simon. Simon the Pharisee. Simon the respectable. Simon the good guy. To his credit. Simon would represent the Jewish denomination that was most dedicated to holiness. They knew it was important. But he was a pre-atonement Jew, a pre-cross, pre-grace 
Jewish man trapped in the law because that was all he had known as a second or third generation Pharisee. An honorable man, a moral man, a respectable man, careful to be loyal to the law, almost to a fault if that were possible. But Simon was also a sinner. Jesus actually hints at that in the parable that he's going to tell a little bit later on there at the table. No, Simon's not guilty of the kind of public sin that this woman was known in the city for. But it was an inward sin that kept Simon from a true relationship with his creator. Ironically, his was the sin of self-righteousness. Ironic because that term actually has that word righteousness or righteous in it. But Simon in his sin, had settled for a cheap knockoff of true holiness. You see, holiness tends to have some doppelganger. Now, a doppelganger is something that looks almost identical to something else, but it is not the same. It's not the, the, the same as what it's uh, imitating. It's an imitation. Uh, it's, it's a cheap imitation, in fact. It's a, um, uh, a clone, an evil twin. There have always been people of faith who have settled for morality in their Christian life. As long as I'm moral, then, then I'm good. As long as I'm civil. As long as I'm respectable. That They've settled for those things rather than to pursue true holiness. Now, there's nothing wrong with morality. There's nothing wrong with being civil and respectable. There's nothing wrong at all, except for when you're using it to cover up your brokenness. Hiding your broken heart deep in the dark crevices of your life. The, the problem with morality or respectability without brokenness is this. It puffs up. It makes you proud. It looks down on other people. It makes a mental list of their faults. They're not wearing the right clothes. They've put on a little bit too much makeup. They're using words that might offend our good sensibilities. True holiness. True holiness involves brokenness. And, and it's easy to identify true holiness because it's the character of Jesus. It's 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. It's Ephesians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Whereas morality and respectability can be harsh in their judgment. They can be self-centered and more concerned with an outward appearance. Holy brokenness seems to, to be uh, right at the very core of the issue. It seeks to be made right. Holy brokenness makes righteous judgments. It is slow to anger. It's quick to forgive. Holy brokenness puts the other person first. It maintains an accurate perspective on what is the most important thing in the kingdom of God. Things like repentance and humility and submission to the Lord. Morality and respectability may just presume that you get to be at the head of the table. Where Simon is, the place of honor. Holy brokenness puts you at the feet of Jesus, grieved by your sinfulness and bringing what you have, though it may be very, very little, but bringing what you do have in worship of the one who can forgive and who can restore? And that's exactly where this woman is at. Approaching Jesus with a holy brokenness that is going to rely solely on his righteousness, his goodness, his forgiveness, 
his restoration to make herself whole. She's there at his feet in humility. And as you can imagine, the room was awkwardly quiet. And breaking that silence, Jesus, knowing what's in Simon's heart, says, Simon, I've got something to say to you. Simon caught off guard, says, okay, say it. And because Luke records this for us, we get to hear what Jesus had to say to Simon in his self-righteousness. Let's look at verses 41 through 43. Jesus said, A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When neither could pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, Jesus asked Simon, which of them will love him more? Two men owing money. One a great deal, one one-tenth of that. But the thing is that neither could pay. It didn't matter the amount of money that they owed. They could not pay. Did not matter the amount of money they had. They cannot pay. Just like it doesn't matter the amount of good that we have done. We still owe. And it's, it's a debt that we cannot pay. Uh, Paul talks about this in Romans. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 10. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Romans 3, 22 and 23, there is no difference for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23, the wages then of that sin is death. See, that's what we owe. If it's a, if it's a dime, it's the same as a dollar. If it's $10, it's the same as 100. If it's 50 denarii, it's the same as 500 denarii. If it's one sin, it's the same as 100 sins. You cannot pay your way out of the debt of sin. And so Jesus canceled it. Jesus canceled your debt. That's the gospel, folks. If, if you're trying to bring down the gospel to one sentence, that's the good news. Jesus canceled your debt. So how does that affect you? When you entered into the, the place of worship that you go to on a weekend, do you come in as the host or as an invited guest? Do you come all nice and pretty, seated at the seated at the head of your own table, expecting Jesus to say interesting things for you to think about all this next week and uh, maybe even see a miracle or two? Or did you come in humility with a very crude clay jar in your hands, fully conscious of your own filthy rags of righteousness? Now, respectability would tell you that these four walls that uh, that encompass church buildings, a stage that might be there, some some lighting, some uh, slides on, on the screens, some nice chairs, respectability will tell you that that's the house of God. And so we invite Jesus into our formal setting, don't we? The, the, the proper format. We, we've sung the right songs. We've, we've heard the right length of a sermon with the right amount of uh, humor and the, the, the right amount of points that spell out the right word to help us remember. That's respectability, right? That's what Simon did. 
Jesus said, then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? This is verse 44. I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. <laughs> Respectability tells you that the house of God is in your formal setting. Holy brokenness tells you that your heart is where God truly wants to live. Holy brokenness is overcome by our condition of sin in our life. Holy brokenness is giving over in abandon a worship and a love that just floods as, as the reservoir of my heart breaks. It's often harder to feel the magnitude of what Jesus has done for us when he went to the cross, or what he continues to do for us on a daily basis by being there at the right hand of the Father, standing as our go-between, or how he changes us through the power of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, how he empowers us to be made pure. It's, it's harder to feel the magnitude of all of that when we've grown up as a Christian in a Christian atmosphere, when, when we've lived by our Christian faith for decades. It's, it's hard to remember what it used to be like when you first knew what it was like to be forgiven. It's hard when we've learned, really, by, uh, by implication, that it's on us, somehow, to be good enough to get into heaven. When that's our mentality, that it's on us, that it's on our own righteousness, our self-righteousness, boy, it's sure hard to love the way that this woman loved Jesus. Yeah, it's more difficult, but it's not impossible. What's cool is that our Bibles tell us of another Pharisee who came along later after Simon. He was on his way to persecute Christians in the, the town of Damascus, and he encountered the living Jesus on that road to Damascus. And this respectable, moral, civil religious leader finally understood that all of his stuff that he could bring to the table was rubbish, garbage, sewage. And that true holiness sees the reality of one's absolute need for grace and forgiveness on a regular basis, to be wholly broken. So Jesus concludes this uh, chapter. He says, Therefore I tell you, Simon, this woman's sins, which were many, are forgiven for she loves much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let me ask you as we wrap up today, what is the cost of your jar that you will bring to Jesus? Are you willing to come to Jesus in your brokenness? Or are you still going to approach him like, this is your party that you have invited him to, and you get to sit at the head of the table. Do you understand what forgiveness and freedom in Jesus really costs? It's to bring him your alabaster jar, no matter how presentable or unpresentable it is, how noble or how crude it is. 
Do you love him with all of your heart, with full abandon? Or are you still holding back because you don't really realize how much you really do need him? What is Jesus saying to you today? Is he saying, uh, hey, I've got something to say to you? <laughs> or is he saying to you, your sins are forgiven? Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. God's grace deserves our devotion. God's forgiveness leads us to love and worship. The righteousness that comes from God is everything to the one who receives it with humility, whether they have a lot of sins or very few, because they understand God's righteousness canceled any and all debt. It saved you, and it allowed you to live your life in peace with God. Do you know the cost? Do you know the cost of the perfume? Do you know the cost of the jar? Do you know the cost of worship? Do you know the cost of being uh, open and honest and confessing of one's sins, coming to Jesus without any self-righteousness? It is holy brokenness. That's the cost. Holy brokenness and a desire to be made whole. Now, some of you may be hearing this for the very first time. And perhaps something is tugging at your heart as you hear this. And if you were honest, you'd say that you're, you're, you're not ready because you're so used to sitting at the head of the table inviting Jesus into your party. Maybe you're here again listening to a podcast thinking that uh, Jesus is your guest and you have not decided to be at his feet yet. Still too stubborn, too strong to be wholly broken. This woman focused on nothing more than making it to the feet of Jesus. I hope that we can approach the throne of grace each week, each day, with this same kind of humility. The humility of a woman with a crude alabaster jar. I hope we can enter into Jesus' presence with a very real sense that we don't really belong there based on our own righteousness. But we do come because he bids us come. And he accepts our offering of worship and reverence. And to also realize that we owe far more than we could ever pay. So how are you going to honor the Lord today? Will you come and kiss the feet of the forgiver of sins? The one who canceled your debt? Will you love him as he has loved you? Don't, uh, don't let today end until you have taken time to pour out the contents of your jar at his feet. Don't leave here today if the master has something to say to you wants you to take a step from mere morality or civility or respectability and embrace true holiness through holy brokenness. The promise of God through his word is that the Redeemer will trade your brokenness for beauty. Well, I know it's a little bit shorter today, but that's okay. Um, it's a good word from the Lord, and hopefully that uh, is going to bring you uh, some blessing and some things to, to chew on. And uh, may we be people who seek to have a right relationship with him, not because of anything we've done, but because of everything he has done. All right. I'd like to thank the folks that make this podcast possible. Lisa Welly for getting it up on the podcast websites. Uh, Steve Pittman for uh, just maintaining all of our electronic stuff, our IT stuff. Uh, my daughter, Donovan, who has uh, given me permission to use her microphone so I can do these from my office. May God bless you, and we'll uh, talk with you next week.